Welcome to The Outpouring with Executive Pastor Bob Oliver of the New Covenant Church of Philadelphia. What would you do for the Word of God? What would you do not just to hear it, but to obey it? One of the things that we're going to talk today about the Word of God, which is under assault. There are those who say it's outdated. It's not for this time. How could that be true when a God has foreknowledge of everything, who breathed those scriptures? It is for all time because the God who gave us the scripture is unchangeable. He's infallible and his word is immutable. When heaven and earth passes away, there'll be something that's still standing, the word of God. And if nobody believes it, it's still true. It's still true. And if the whole world denies him, he cannot deny himself. He remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. I think there are some reasons that the enemy plants, enemy comes in unaware, that causes us to reject the word of God. I'm talking about the pure, unadulterated truth of the word. And if you're like me, you can justify anything that you like to do. It doesn't matter if it contradicts the word because you can find a way to make it all right. And what I've learned over years, it didn't just happen in a moment, is not to trust my own instincts. And the world says, follow your heart. Have you ever heard that? And to some people, it sounds like good, sound advice. And some of the people who say it, their intentions are good. Follow your heart. But the Bible says this, the heart above all things is wicked, desperately wicked. And it's deceitful above all things. So that thing that the world tells me to trust is both deceitful and wicked above all things. And don't you know, that's the portal, that's the place of entry of what I think and what I feel. As a person thinks in their what? Heart, that's what you become. So if I was the devil, I would put something in your heart that causes you to think you're right when you're wrong that causes you to reject the truth. And if you read the word and you don't do it, I would say, has God said that you should do this? And then it convinces you that there is a more excellent way. Are you with me? God's word. I have heard in this last week, people send me some clips, some interesting clips. I've heard uh, many things, but just two of them I want to point out. One is 
a very well-respected person with rank in the gospel said, there's a right way to do wrong. I heard somebody say, but there are people, I promise you, who shout amen, who say, preach it, preach. Is it possible for there be a, to be a right way to do wrong? Even my natural mind tells me that's an, an oxymoron. Either it's right or it's wrong. There's no right way to do wrong. But what causes someone to say something like that, even though well-intentioned, but very wrong, is because their bias against a certain group says that you're more wrong than this person, that your sin is greater. I want you to know it all stinks in the nostrils of God. It all does. So what we don't want to do, one of the ways we can avoid bias and to have purity is first, know the word of God. Second, obey it. And it is impossible for me to be a doer of the word and be disobedient because if I do it, intrinsically I'm doing what? I am obeying it. Don't resist it. Now there's some reasons why. So when you hear something like that, you know that's not true. That's like run, don't walk away from that. In fact, that example, I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm not going to cloud your mind with another one. There is no right way to do wrong. In the balcony, there is no right way to do wrong. Oh, there's nobody up there. <laughs> but I still want you, when they come, I want it to echo. There is no right way to do wrong. How can the word guard us against that kind of thing. So let's, let's go through together, together, some of the things that the Bible says about the word. The first one is, it's a sword. Can you put up the sword? For carnal use, what do we use a sword for? For war. To stab, to cut. See, that's somebody from North Philly. <laughs> Cut you in pieces. But the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. So let's see what the Word of God says about the sword. If we first, before we go to the sword though, let me back up for a moment. Go to Matthew 13 and 19, then we'll go right back to the sword. Matthew 13 and 19, this is really important. When anyone, when anyone, that means it applies to who? Everyone. When anyone means it applies to everyone. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, and does not understand it. So if I'm sitting in the audience and someone says, there's a right way to do wrong, what's the first thing that goes off? First of all, that's not the word of the kingdom. That's this person's opinion 
which is wrong because you're against something and because of that, you're now giving your opinion. That's not the word of God. No one should stand in a sacred space and give you their opinion. It needs to be, say it with me, the word of God. So if anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown, where? In his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. And you know the context of this. Jesus had told the parable of the sower and the disciples pulled him aside and said, Lord, we don't know what you're talking about. Can you tell us what this means? What does this mean? And he said, how will you know all parables if you don't know this? In other words, all the mysteries of the kingdom are wrapped up in this. If you understand this, you'll understand it all. But you know, Deke, what the wicked one doesn't want any of us to do? I don't care how immature or mature is for us to understand. Because he wants us to buy what he's selling. He wants us to buy what he's selling. And the Bible says, buy truth and sell it not. I don't know about you, but I'm not selling out. I'm not going to be a sellout. But he comes and he snatches it. And where does he snatch it from? The heart. Because the heart is the place where things enter. And there's one thing that can make our heart pure and keep it pure. It's like a refiner, and that's the word of God. So the foundation of what we're going to talk about is understanding. Because anyone who hears it and doesn't understand it, and God said to me, you know, debating the word is futile. And anyone who gets in a debate, I'm not talking about imparting, a debate about the word is proud. Because you're saying that you have a cornerstone on the truth, whereas it's just the word of God. You give the word and you don't add anything. One of the things that grieves God's heart is adding stuff. Like, we're living in a time where you would think the gospel is not enough. I want you to know the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. To everyone. You don't have to add anything. Anything you add to it dilutes it. It makes it less powerful. Are you with me? So now let's go back to the sword. Put the sword up so my North Philly folk can talk about cutting people up. In the, in the natural, the carnal use of it is to cut up. The spiritual use of it is something different. Write the question in your notes. What is the spiritual use for the sword? What is the spiritual use for the sword. And I'm asking that question rhetorically for a purpose because we're going to let the word answer it. What normally happens, if you ask me a question, I'm going to decide, I'm going to give you an answer. What I've learned 
is as I meditate on his word, the response has to be from his word. But that doesn't mean I have to give you Bible and verse. Leave the sword up. That doesn't mean I have to give you Bible and verse. I want to tell you a personal story. It's personal to me, but it's not about my person. You understand? Not long ago, I was driving up, just driving up on campus one day, and a friend of mine, lifelong friend, we used to, we did everything together. He was a teammate of mine many years ago. And he called me and he said, Bobby Oliver, I want you to know I'm not gonna be here much longer. And I didn't know how sick he was. And I said, no, 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 God is able to heal you. You can, you can get through this. He said, no, no, I'm a realist. You don't understand, I'm dying. And my heart was broken because he was a dear friend and I wanted more time with him. I didn't want him to die. So I began to weep. He was dying, but he wasn't weeping. I began, to, I began to pray for him. He's gonna see the goodness in the land of the living. I don't think he's ever been to church in his life other than a funeral or a wedding. And that's, that's the truth. The language he uses would not be permissible in a church. And it's all the time, but he was my friend and I loved him because they were just words. And so we continue to communicate and I would text him to see how he's doing and I would communicate the word. And what I discovered is he didn't even know it was the word because he doesn't know the word. And the word beyond my own emotions towards him and my love for him as a friend he was, something was happening. And he sent me a text one day and he said, Bobby, I can't stop crying. Now he's weeping because it was the word of God that was ministering to him. He didn't even know it was the word, but the word of God is quick, it's living. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces asunder the soul and the joint and marrow. And it's a discerner of the heart. God's word can discern what needs to happen more than my human emotion. And I would communicate with him. And he would say, Bob, I understand now. My father's got me. And one day he said, I want you to promise me something. He said that you will speak. Promise me. I need you to promise me. You will speak. You'll have a word at my homecoming. So the churchiology in me wanted to correct him. And what did I want to say? See, I know some other church folk in here. Homegrown. And the Spirit of God made me shut my mouth. I didn't say anything. I just listened. And I said, I promise you, bro, you can count on it. I will. And God began to minister to me that his perspective, even though he had not been trained in the word, even though he wasn't a person who goes to church, he said his perspective is a good one. 
He said, because when you talk about home going, you talk, you're thinking about leaving something. He says, home coming, that's something to be celebrated. That, he said, he knows he's coming home. And I thought I began to rejoice. I began to rejoice in my spirit all by myself. God can give understanding to someone who doesn't even know what they're doing because his word is great. God is great. And from that point, when I spoke, it was in the auditorium. It wasn't in the church. It was in the school that we went to together. I went to high school at Patterson Eastside. If you saw the movie Lean On Me, that's where I went to school. Yeah, you said, really? Yeah, so you know how I think about a sword too. <laughs> but that's where I went. Batman, Joe Clark, I know him personally. But the point is, don't get distracted on that. I, if I could start telling y'all about my life, I'm gonna, y'all gonna miss the word. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I ain't gonna sing that. Yeah, yeah, it was, the, it was the ghost. We were the east side ghost. I promise you, it wasn't the Holy Ghost. <laughs> it was a ghost, but not the Holy Ghost. But what I learned from that experience, God was teaching me. See, I'm a person who can handle the word, but God uses a person who is totally unchurched to teach me something about the word that I would never know, that I would never know unless I was exposed to someone who was receiving it and didn't even know what they were receiving, but they were responding to it. That's the power of the word of God. So I don't have to give someone my opinion. I don't have to give them what I think is the recipe. I don't have to speak a certain language. If I just give the word of God, it, just through text, it was powerful. The word of God is quick. So let's see what the word says about it. Go to the first verse. Maybe I need to tell you what it is, Ephesians 6 and 17, and then after that, get Hebrews 4 and 12 ready. It says, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the, what? See, that's why Jesus said, the words that I speak, they are spirit and they're life. The letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So when I communicate the word of God, it's life. So my friend who was dying, my love, the love of a friend couldn't save him, but the word of God caused him to sense life. And now he's talking about a homecoming. I'm getting ready to come to the place where the one who made me is. Y'all don't hear me. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So the Bible says, the sword of the spirit is the word of God. And spirit is life. But if I just give someone the letter, I'm quoting chapter and verse to get you to bend to my will or what I think is right, then that kills. That's what the Pharisees did. I rebuke the spirit of a Pharisee. 
I rebuke every form of legalism. The Spirit of God brings life. It comes to bring life. That's one of the things that is clear in the Scripture. Let's go to Hebrews 4 and 12. Are you with me so far? Hebrews 4 and 12. For the word of God is what? Now, in the last verse, it says spirit, but I said to you what Jesus said, the word is spirit and life. Now, how do you know it's living? Because it says so. God is doing something for you right now, teaching us how to study the word. Here's, here's what I want you to know. Never accept the interpretation of anyone on the word. Not me, not anyone, because the word is self-interpreting. If I say to you, the word says it's spirit and life, and it is in the scriptures in John 6, but you never read it, now I'm showing you that it says it here, that it's living, now you know it's the word of God, it's true, it's not the interpretation of a man. I don't care how thick the collar is, I don't care how long the robe is, there is no replacement for the Word of God. And that's why at New Covenant, we teach and we preach the Word of God. Because when opinions get in the way, it dilutes the power of God. And what we want to release is the power of God. We trust God enough to know that if you just speak the Word, God will do what only He can do. There are too many people who are trying to do the work of God in place of God. It won't work. It won't work. It's living, and what else is it? Powerful. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword. That carnal sword, no matter how sharp it is, no matter how painful the pierce, the Word of God is sharper piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. Only the word of God can do that. Where does your soul end and your spirit begin? You can't tell me. Only God knows, but his word can search it out. His word pierces asunder and the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart because Jesus was the living word. He knew what was in people. And the more words you get, the more discerning you can be. There's a young prophet that I met in Ghana. We're still in touch till this day on WhatsApp. And he told me a story of when he spent three days, he rented a hotel room. He didn't eat, he didn't drink. He only read the word of God and prayed for three days straight. He said, when I walked out of the hotel, I talked to people. I could tell them everything they've ever done. He said, I could discern anything. The word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and intents. If you don't want to be deceived, you get in the word and stay there. I promise you, there's some things that you'll see that you cannot see with your natural eyes. I, you, and everyone living is, is vulnerable to deception apart from the living word of God, which is a discerner 
of the thoughts and the hearts. Someone can smile in your face. Someone can kiss you on the cheek. Someone can say all the right flattering words and they mean you no good. They could bring you into a web and that's not what you think about people. You don't go into any interaction thinking that, but what I'm saying is the word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and intents. That's why we need the word of God. Somebody say amen. amen. What's the next thing? The next thing that's said about the word, I'm gonna give you a two for one, is that it's fire. Let's see some fire. We're gonna just show the fire and then we're gonna to get to the next part. Some of you probably already quoting it. We got some fire coming. There we go. I'm looking in the back for fire. There's the fire. Fire, 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 fall on me. Let the fire does not, that does not consume burn in me. Let the consuming fire burn up the chaff. See, there's different kinds of fire in the spirit. There's even a strange fire. When the priests used strange fire for sacrifice and God judged them. But I'm talking about the fire of the Holy Ghost. That clothing fire that comes and will sit with you. I'm talking about the one that sat on them in the upper room. I want the fire to come and sit with me. Because when that happens, you won't have to warm your hands with the enemy's fire. Even the chief apostle, when he was fearful and despondent on the day they beat and flogged the savior of the world, Jesus, Peter warmed his hands by the enemy's fire. There's something about fire, the warmth of the fire. And when his speech testified against them, he began to swear and to curse that strange fire. But Jeremiah says something about fire and it's gonna give away the second part. Jeremiah 23 and 29. God is speaking to a young prophet who he's convincing that don't let your youth, don't let your youth get in your way. He said, I called you before you were this age. He said, when you were still in your mother's womb, I called you and I ordained you a prophet. You are a prophet to the nations. And he's saying to, this is God speaking to Jeremiah, is not my word like a fire, like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. We'll deal like with the pieces in a minute. But the fire, leave that verse up for a while. The fire, the same Jeremiah, even though God had spoken to him on many occasions, when he began to obey the word of God, he realized, are you listening? That it wasn't rainbows and unicorns. 
It wasn't rosy. Every day wasn't Sunday. It wasn't this cheap grace that people talk about in 2024. He said, God, you, he's talking to God. He says, you deceive me because you're stronger than I am. And you have made me a byword in Israel. Nobody even want to come around me when they see me coming. When they see me coming, they whisper. Nobody wants anything to do with me. And he said, Jeremiah, then speaking, call it the memoirs of Jeremiah. He said, I decided I'm not going to speak anymore in his name. I'm done with God. Even though he just confessed that he's stronger, God is stronger than him. He's like, nope, God, you gave me something called free will. I'm done. Peace. I'm out. And he said, then his word was like fire shut up in my bones and I could not stay. May the word of God be fire shut up in your bones. May it be in your bones so it can't escape. May the fire of God be in your bones so much. There's something about being in the bones. There's something about being in the bones. Young man, I want you to Hear this. There's something about you. I, I sense something. I don't know your name, but I'm going to find out after service. I want you to hear this part. There's a person I used to work with. He was from New Zealand. And he would ask a question. He would say, do you, I have to make a tough decision on many occasions. And he would say, are you, do you feel it in your bones? What's in your bones? He done, this dude is not spiritual. I promise you. I promise you. His God is not the God that we're preaching about. But there was wisdom in the question. What he was saying is, how committed to this are you? Do you really, do you have conviction about this? It's not the conviction that we think of with the spirit, but there is something called conviction that grips you in the court of law. When someone is found guilty, what, it, what does it do? Convicts them. You are convicted, which means you now, the consequence that comes with the conviction is coming. But when of my free will, I have conviction about a thing, I stand on it. You don't waver. You don't make the decision, and because the consequences bring heat, you don't run away. You say, no. It's in my bones. I feel this, and come what may, I'm going to make this decision. Otherwise, you're going to be wishy-washy. You're going to be tossed to and fro, and the Bible says a double-minded, come on, unstable in all his ways, and let not that person think they're going to receive anything from God. And when it's in your bones, it does something. And what is the benefit of having the word of God in my bones. There was a prophet named Elisha. He was the successor to, successor to Elijah. And after he had been long dead, a band of Amalekites had a person who they probably did something they shouldn't have done 
and they threw him in Elijah's tomb, Elisha's tomb. And the Bible says, when the man touched Elisha's dead bones, he got up and came out of there. And I was thinking, Donovan, what did those Amalekites do? You know you just killed this dude. You know you stabbed them 20 times with a sword. The Bible doesn't say that. I'm just talking. This is for a dramatic effect. They killed them. I don't know how they killed them, but I know a common weapon in those days was a sword. You know this dude is dead. He's not breathing. You throw him in there and then he jumps up. They understand what the scripture means. One can chase a thousand and two can put 10,000 to flight. But the point is, his bones were anointed. His bones had the power to resurrect the dead. Imagine when we're walking around, if the word of God is like fire, shut up in our bones. Can you imagine the power of God's people who allows the word to first get in your heart and then get in your bones? And Jeremiah said his word was in me like fire. Shut up in my bones. Fire of God invade my bones. Get in my bones. God, wherever you want to go, begin in my heart. But Oh my God, this is good. This is good spreading. Yes, sir. All right. All right. What's wrong? Okay. Why you say that? I want y'all to pray for Mook. Mook's a good brother. Mook. So the fire in the bones. There's, a, there's something about the word of God. There's something about the word of God. Fire also has smoke. And smoke, there's some, if you're in a building that's on fire, the thing that draws you out is the smoke. The smoke you out. Sometimes one of the things that law enforcement does is they come and they bring, they'll, they'll do something that will smoke you out. The word of God has that power. Let it be in my bones. Let it be in the bones of your people. Let it be shut up in our bones. Fire. What's the next one? Show the next picture. A hammer. This is an important one because it goes back to the first scripture we talked about where Jesus is teaching about the parable of the sower. And he talks about one of the areas that the seed, the seed is the word of God. He said the seed is the word of God. And one of the areas that it falls on is stony. And, he's, and Jesus explains that it's the heart. When the heart is stony and you put seed, it can't penetrate the stone. It can't penetrate the stone. So the word of God is like a hammer that breaks it up. That's what the prophet means when he said, break up the follow ground. Break up the follow ground. 
it's time to seek the Lord till he rains righteousness upon you. Till he rains righteousness upon you. And even with the stony hearts, God made a promise speaking to Jeremiah again. He said, I will take their stony hearts and give them a heart of what? A heart of flesh, a heart that is sensitive, a heart that can feel. A stone cannot feel. If you are trying to grow something and the area is stony, you gotta get rid of that stone. This campus is built on a rock quarry. And before anything could be built, you had to do some blasting. You had to do some blasting to get the stone far enough under the surface so that you could build on it. Certainly, you would never get grass if it was still stone. And God likens the heart to that kind of surface. So he says his word is like a hammer which breaks up the follow ground. What we never want to have is a stony heart because stone has no feeling, meaning no sensitivity to the word of God. So his word is like fire and his word is like what? A hammer. And sometimes when we use a sword or a hammer, the way we would use carnal objects like a sword or a hammer, it turns people away. But the word is life. And the reason God uses these metaphors is like he knows the heart. And when the heart is hard, you got to break it up. You got to break up the fallow ground because the whole intent when you read the parable of the sower is for us to be fruitful and for some to bear 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. But for everyone who hears the word, we ought to be fruitful. That's if it doesn't get choked out by the cares of this life, if the heart isn't stony, or if it doesn't fall by the wayside. Do you know what the wayside represents? So if you ever had to, if you ever seeded your lawn and you have a spreader, you know you walk with the spreader, if you're in the middle of it, it goes everywhere. When you get to the edges, where does the seed go? It goes to the wayside. It could be um, paved over. It could be um, cement. It could be whatever it is. There could be trees. That's not going to promote growth. So that seed that went by the wayside is not going to have the intended effect. Let's say there's some rock in the middle of your beautiful lawn. There's rock. I've experienced this. Per I get dirt put on. I go to Home Depot. One bag didn't work. Let me try two. Two bags didn't work. Let me try three. Three bags didn't work. Let me try four. You keep doing it. And you know what happens? Eventually, the rain and watering it washes it away and the stone is still exposed. If you don't break it up and remove it, you're never going to produce fruit because the, the seed has to go deep into the soil in order for it to grow and for the fruit to remain. Are you with me? For the fruit 
to remain. And so the word of God discerns the heart. It breaks up follow ground, but it's not to hammer you. Like the carnal use of a hammer is to hammer you. That's not God. What God does, he breaks up the follow ground so we can hear him. Because you're not able to hear him if your heart is hard. If your heart is hard, you cannot hear him. So now, what is the last thing that the word of God does? Go to the first picture, the one that shines light and darkness. The entrance of his word. Somebody finish it. The entrance of his word gives light. Let's go to Psalm 119 and 30. For those who are taking notes, I highly recommend that you this week read Psalm 119. It's 176 verses. Don't just read it all in one sitting. And the reason I say that is, Psalms is a meditation on the excellency of the Word of God. It's a meditation on the excellency of the Word of God. But in verse 130, David says this, the entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Remember our foundational verse? Anyone who hears the word of the kingdom and does not, what? Understand it, the enemy snatches it away. But the entrance of his word, when it gets in, can't get past stone, it gets choked out by the cares of this life, and you don't want to be just a wayside. You don't want to be a wayside dweller, you want to be in the way. You know in the first century what they call the church? The people of the way. They were in the way because Jesus says, I am what? The way. He's not the wayside, he's the way. The entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. So the first picture shows a light shining in darkness. That's what my heart is like when I begin to take in his word. But as I continue to take in his word, something happens. Show the, show the first picture and then the next picture. So as I begin, so it shines in darkness. That's why as the light of the world, we need to go into a dark world to shine. God, in the beginning of creation, separated light from darkness, day from night. But you know what he also did? He gave us the moon at night and he gave us stars. I want you to try to imagine for a moment what the world would be if we were in utter dark. No moon, no stars, nothing at, at night. You wouldn't be able to go out at night. Like you can't imagine the, the great darkness that would exist. So God gave us a sign of light shining in darkness. But the more word that I take in, the more I take in his word, it says the path of the righteous shines brighter and brighter 
unto the noonday. His word is a lamp to our feet and a light unto our path. Every path that I take, every decision that I make, every place I decide to go, I want his word to guide me. It's a lamp to my feet and it's a light to my path so that I can see clearly and not stumble. Show the next picture. We begin here, but as we grow in grace and as we desire his word and as we grow in the knowledge of him, it shines brighter unto the noonday, unto the noonday. So it doesn't matter where we are. If you have never read the Bible in your life, that's all right. God is saying, begin to take in his word. If you read the Bible, if you read the Bible every day for 50 or 60 years of your life, of your saved life, of your natural life, you still need his word to guide you. Because any one of us who think we've arrived, we're headed for a fall. Because his knowledge is so vast, we can never get it all. There are some things we won't fully understand until we're there with him, until our homecoming. Every single one of us needs his word to guide us. And God says this is for everyone, from the greatest to the least, for the learned and for the unlearned. My word is a guide to all. And everyone who chooses it is wise. Everyone who follows it is wise. James says it this way. If you are simply a hearer of the word and not a doer, you're like a person who looks, holds up a mirror, you look at yourself, and then when you walk away, you forget how you look. What James is talking about is identity. If I don't stay in the word and if I don't obey it and do it, I forget who I am. And so then I get caught up in things that don't reflect the values of the gods who I am. It doesn't reflect the values of the king who I serve. And so I've got to constantly look so I remember, so I know who I am, so I know whose I am, so I walk according to that. How many of you in this room are parents? Whoa, good bit. How many of you who are parents have had your children ever do wrong? Y'all laughing at that. How many of you who are parents have ever been upset with your children? Now, how many of you as parents have thrown your children away because you're mad? The baby raising her hand. <laughs> She's like, I hope she ain't prophesying of the future. She's like, none of us, if we being evil, love our children unconditionally, how much more does God do the same? So it's not that he throws us away in anger, but he is just. And in order for God to be justified, those who obey him 
are those who will be redeemed. Those who reject him are those who he has no choice but to judge, not because he doesn't love you, but so that he can be justified. In Ezekiel, write down Ezekiel 33. God says to the prophet, my people say I'm not fair. He said, but I am fair. He said, if a righteous person walks away from their righteousness and they die in their sins, that person is going to be judged. He said, if, an, if a wicked person turns from their wickedness and turns to me, that person shall be saved. He said, I am fair. He said, but you, son of man, you are a watchman on the wall, and you speak what I tell you to speak. And he said, they're not going to listen to you, but you still speak it if I tell you, because they don't even listen to me. So the thing that gives me boldness to tell the truth is because if God says it, that's between you and God, what you do with it. And God said, don't you flinch because of that, because it's not you they're rejecting, it's me. That's the safety that's in God's word. But if I tell you something that is my opinion or my preference, then that's on me. And if you follow that, that's on you. <laughs> so now we're in the same boat, the same boat. And we can't say, Lord, careth not if we perish. <laughs> no, you chose to get on that boat. So what are the four things that the Bible says about his word? And this is not, it's like a sword. Come on, talk to me. Like fire, let that fire be in your bone. It's like a hammer, but it's not used to hammer people, right? It's like a hammer to break up the hard places in our heart. And then it's what? It's light. Stand together with me. Today my assignment was to teach and not to preach. And I know, I know God has given me the evidence that I'm teaching right because it invoked something. And sometimes if a person, like the example I gave of my friend who I didn't give chapter and verse, but he responded, if you don't know what conviction is, you think it's condemnation. And I talked about that a little while ago. And it'll cause you to react a certain way. But to the word of God, as the people of God, whether it's a sword, hammer, fire, or light, we don't react to the word of God. We respond to it. The difference between a reaction and a response is simply this. Let's say you went to your doctor and your doctor prescribed something for you and you go back for the follow-up and he says, you're having a reaction to the medication. That's generally a side effect, right? Is that positive or negative? Negative, you're getting a rash, or you got some other thing that's happening. 
But if he says, you go for the follow-up, and he or she says, you are responding to the medication. Is that a good sign or a bad sign? It means it's doing what it's intended to do. Beloved, let us let the word of God work in us according to God's intention. Because when we do that, it works out in us the things that needs to be work out, worked out. It gives us clarity. Every eye closed, every head bowed. If you want to draw closer to him and have a greater hunger and a greater thirst for his word, a greater hunger and greater thirst for his word. And you might be a person who says, I try to read the Bible, but I can't get it. I just don't get it. It's as if there's a veil, of, um, I don't understand. The language is complicated. I don't get it. You're not alone. There was a man who was asked if he understood what he read. And he said, how can I understand unless someone teaches me? God will have people already prepared to help you. But if that's you today, and you want to come closer to him through his word so that you can experience the light that enters through his word so that you can experience the purity of his word, the power of his word, to know that his word really, really works. It's really, really true. I want you to come now. Come to the altar now. Thank you for joining us in service today. We pray that this ministry has been a blessing to you and your family. To give your gift of love and help keep this ministry on the air, visit nccop.church giving for all of the ways that you can donate to the ministry. Thank you so much for your generosity and God's blessings until we meet again.